Well, this lockdown has given me more time than usual to think about Jesus. I spent a fair bit of time reflecting on how Jesus deals with the questions he is asked, and I hope to bring you a sermon uh, on that when we can meet again in person. I've also been thinking about the way each day Jesus is there to bring a rich and ever-changing blend of challenge and encouragement. Uh, I, sometimes I hear questions like, do you really think that's what you should do? Could you really do any better than the politicians? Come on, it's a new day. Let's see what we can do. Uh, when I hear Jesus speaking to me like this, it's not condemnation or patronising, although at times it's bracing. And at other times it's really warming. Now that's what I mean by a rich and ever-changing blend of challenge and encouragement. That challenge and encouragement is built into the gospel. It's sometimes said that the gospel of Jesus Christ is subversive. It challenges the way we usually do things and encourages us is encourages us to do things Jesus' way. The gospel undermines human ideas of power and riches and human vanity. God's grace is subversive, as it takes away any idea that we're good enough on our own or we can earn our salvation. Jesus was subversive. He silenced the rich and the powerful and showed that the alien, the outsider and the humble poor have a special place in his kingdom. There are, of course, currents in the church that run against this sense of subversion, that show that we can quickly revert to the way humans, particularly men, usually do things. We see that, we see that with the power of the church in various times and places and the subjugation of women and the preference sometimes given to the intellectual and the middle class. But when we look at Jesus closely, we see he was subversive in many ways. He challenged the hypocrisy of the religious leaders and the pretensions of Pontius Pilate. He laid out a world of love and equality without racial, social or gender divisions. But what of the Old Testament? Some of Jesus' subversive themes find expression there, that God is the source of all power and goodness and no human system can compete with him. Jesus laughed at the pretensions of Rome, but the Old Testament showed that Assyria, Babylon, Egypt and the Greeks were nothing compared to the Lord God Almighty. Pharaoh, Goliath and Nebuchadnezzar were brought to their knees before him, as were the gods of the surrounding nations. But what of the story today? On the surface, it's quite a nice story which points to God's providential care of people who trust him. While this story may undermine the idea that we should look for someone who is hot or cool, doesn't it also affirm things we would expect with a conventional patriarchal society? That safety and respectability for women come in marriage. A woman has to entice a man with the way she prepares herself. Why couldn't Naomi and Ruth make it without a man? Why wasn't their friendship enough? Why is the church often pushing marriage over singleness, despite what Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians, that for many he thinks that singleness is better? 
if we think that, we're going to be in for some delightful surprises because this story is subversive. It is both challenging and encouraging. And it shows that Ruth and Boaz are worthy ancestors of the Lord Jesus. His subversiveness has an echo in the lives of Ruth and Boaz. And I guess I should have issued a spoiler alert for next week for those who don't know that the closer kinsman redeemer turns down the opportunity to marry Ruth and Boaz and Ruth marry. So let the fun begin. In week one, we heard Naomi and her husband Elimelech had escaped famine in Israel and gone to neighbouring Moab. Their two sons married women of Moab, one of whom was Ruth. Elimelech and the two sons died. Ruth decided to return to Bethlehem with Naomi. In week two, we saw Ruth go scavenging in a field owned by Naomi's relative, Boaz, who was kind to her by ensuring her safety and making sure she had more than enough grain to take home to Naomi. The story today starts with Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth who she gently and affectionately addresses as her daughter. The closeness sets the scene for the daring scheme they devise. Our translation has Naomi asking if she should find, uh, try to find a home for Ruth, but the underlying word is rest or place of rest. Should Naomi find a place of rest for Ruth? And there is a link there with the God who made us for rest. So the rest that Ruth finds with Boaz may be seen as an answer to Naomi's prayers back in chapter 1 that the Lord provide for Ruth. It's also an answer to Boaz's blessing in chapter 2 where Boaz said to Ruth, May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. In Naomi's mind, a responsible husband would operate as the wings of God providing protection for Ruth. So a knowledge of God and prayer underlie the good things that happen in our story today. Naomi wants to provide for the well-being of Ruth, and that is admirable. She's not thinking of providing an heir for Naomi's husband Elimelech or Ruth's first husband. Naomi's focus here is on the needs of Ruth, not patriarchal and cultural concerns. God shows here he is keenly aware of the needs and anxieties of women. The setting may be patriarchal, but there's nothing to show that God thinks that should be the norm. Naomi and Ruth work out that Boaz will be winnowing barley, separating the grain from the chaff at night, as the light breezes suit the process better than gusty daytime winds. Ruth is to wash and perfume herself. The underlying word translated as best clothes actually simply refers to an outer garment that covers her from head to foot, uh, an appropriate dress to wrap herself in for a night in the cold. The washing and the perfuming could be taken two ways. It could signify an offer of sexual availability, or it could be seen as a potential bride preparing herself for a wedding. This is really good storytelling. We're intrigued. Which way 
will Boaz take it? And then we hear something that sounds odd to us, uh, one on which there are quite divergent views. Some see the suggestion to cover his feet and lie down as seductive, perhaps even what a prostitute would do. Ruth is to take action that would result in Boaz feeling cold in the middle of the night and perhaps reaching out for any woman who was conveniently close. However, the language is carefully chosen to not bring into question the morality of either Boaz or Ruth. It is only his lower limbs that are to be exposed and there is a very strong sense that Naomi trusts Boaz to do the right thing by her beloved daughter. Do whatever he says. In chapter 2, we had already heard her confidence in the character of Boaz, that he would only ask her to do something appropriate. But the delicacy of the scheme is obvious, and the potential for disaster is great. Uh, As Daniel Block, my favourite commentator on the book, says, from a human perspective, Naomi is taking a huge gamble that Boaz will not misinterpret the steps Ruth has taken with her washing and perfume and feet uncovering. Might he awake and simply take advantage of Ruth? Or, as a noble man, may he be repulsed by her provocative action and proximity? Or might he awake and recognise Ruth's actions as an invitation to Boaz to marry her and respond favourably? Remember, he is a kinsman redeemer, someone who was supposed to keep Naomi's husband's land in the family and who would be expected to provide for her security. It was on the cards that he could or should marry her. And Ruth seems to be saying in her preparations and actions, marriage is fine with me. But let us consider how gutsy this is on the part of Ruth. Gutsy and subversive. Ruth is inviting Boaz to overlook the irregularities of the situation in the culture of the day, to not be dominated by the culture of the day. These irregularities include a a woman proposing to a man, a younger person proposing to an older person, a field worker proposing to a field owner, and an alien, a person from Moab, proposing to a descendant of Abraham, a member of God's chosen race. When Boaz awakes, he responds positively to Ruth, both revealing his noble character and God's affirmation of Ruth's actions and her trust in this honourable, God-fearing man. Ruth invites him to spread the edge of his garment over her. This is not only a request for warmth in the cold of the night, but an invitation for Boaz to be like God to her and spread his wings over her to bring the protection offered by God's institution of marriage to the vulnerable Ruth. Boaz understands Ruth's behaviour correctly as a proposition for marriage, as shown by his response. And the wonderful things for us is that God is not only not offended by this subversive behaviour, He affirms it. As we'll see next week, he blesses it with his gift of marriage and his gift of a son to them. The world that God approves is not one that looks down on women, the young, the poor and the alien, 
but one where these social distinctions have no sway. Uh, What a wonderful age to come when Jesus returns, an encouragement and a challenge to us today. Ruth identifies Boaz as her kinsman redeemer, not only showing that she's familiar with the Israelite culture she had committed herself to by going back with Naomi, but also as a call to Boaz <coughs> excuse me, to fulfil his duty and marry her. This is like a servant demanding that a boss marry her, a woman making a demand on a man, a poor person making a demand on the rich, and a Moabitess making a demand on an Israelite. I don't think we should see this as Ruth's naivety, but as part of her devotion to Naomi and her confidence in the hidden hand of God, to whom she had committed herself back in chapter 1. For all sorts of reasons, her plan looked doomed, but in God's providence it worked. Rather, reject, rather than rejecting her for all these good cultural reasons, Boaz blesses Ruth. He says, the Lord bless you, my daughter, showing affection and tenderness. And then he says, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. The word that is translated as kindness here is one of the most important in the whole of the Old Testament. The Hebrew word is hesed. It's a broad and inclusive word. It's a bit like shalom, which means far more than peace. It includes prosperity, good life, happiness, plenty. Hesed includes kindness, faithfulness, devotion, loyalty and love. And Boaz sees that in Ruth. Hesed is often translated as loving kindness, and used particularly of God's relationship with his people who trust and obey him. Boaz looks back to Ruth's commitment to Naomi and her people and her God. And and Boaz sees a similar commitment in Ruth now. Ruth is not going after young men. Boaz is kind enough to say that his people have noticed her noble character, which speaks well not only of Ruth, for having a noble character, but also of Boaz for being prepared to compliment this young, confident female foreigner. And the people of Bethlehem, it speaks well for them as well, because they are speaking well of a foreigner. The whole idea was that Israel would be a place that would draw in other people. Ruth chooses to marry neither for status, a young, desirable man, or for love, a poor man, or for money, a rich man. Not to say that Boaz is none of these, but he deflects the attention from himself to commend Ruth for her loyalty and kindness, for her hesed. Ruth has not tried to gain a reputation by associating with the important people. She's gleaned or scavenged in the fields and in her support of Naomi and loyalty to her, she's shown the type of love God has for his people. Although Ruth was happy to identify herself as the servant of Boaz, he picks up on her reference to his responsibilities to her and actually becomes her servant as he first promises to check if the kinsman redeemer in first place wants to marry her, and then affirms very strongly by an oath 
that he will serve her by honouring his responsibilities as her redeemer if the other guy won't. We can only imagine the relief and delight that Ruth would have felt when Boaz made these promises. Naomi and Ruth's trust in his character is vindicated. He is a man of integrity, neither taking advantage of this young woman nor concealing the stronger claim of the other man. Uh, This is a startling and compelling statement by God himself that the lives of genuinely good people are not governed by laws, but by character and a moral sense of right and wrong. And the Lord himself provides sufficient guidance to Boaz to know what to do, as it is with us. It is God's love for us in Jesus that shows us how we are to behave towards each other with the same sacrificial love, the same hesed. And character matters. We see that in our second reading today, Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Paul does far better than me in describing the characters of Boaz and Ruth, so obviously shaped by God and their commitment to him. Love, the sacrificial giving of themselves to each other. Joy in Boaz finding such loving kindness in Ruth and Ruth in Boaz. Peace that they can be together under God's providential care and with Ruth having Boaz spread the wings of God around her. Forbearance as they deal with the challenges of their circumstances and overcome cultural expectations of age, gender, status and ethnicity. Kindness and goodness in their dealing with each other and Naomi. And gentleness and self-control in the uncovering of the feet and the spreading of a corner of a cloak, and in them respecting and honouring each other. Good things lie ahead for Naomi, Ruth and Boaz, but even at this stage we can see that character is its own reward. When the morning comes, Ruth gives a full report to Naomi, and with it she brings as much barley as she could carry as a pledge of the good behaviour Ruth and Naomi couldn't expect from Boaz in the future. In this we see Naomi growing in faith. She returned to her home in Bethlehem out of need and in bitterness, but now she is growing in stature all the time. She has seen and trusted Boaz. She has committed Ruth to him. She knows what makes him tick. It is the love and example of the Lord. And now she is confident in the future. The chapter closes with Naomi's promising words, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. She does not presume a closer relationship than that to which she is entitled. She refers to him as the man and not by name. But she is right to expect good things ahead, because she knows that God is in control. I really like this story. I find it encouraging and challenging. The things that stand out for me are the characters shaped by their knowledge of God and the confidence that each of Naomi, Ruth and Boaz 
have in the hidden hand of God. It was a crazy scheme Naomi and Ruth hatched to put Ruth in Boaz's way, even crazier with the signs she used to show she was offering herself in marriage. It was within the noble character of Boaz to see the character of Ruth and real meaning in Ruth's actions. And so he could promise to take her as his wife. One can take those leaps when you look for the work of God in people's lives, as Ruth and Naomi did with Boaz and Boaz did with Ruth. And it shows us the place in God's providence that God-shaped characters have in moving us from emptiness to fullness. It's not blind faith. This isn't blind faith. It is faith shaped by God's faithfulness and teaching on what really matters. We can make these types of commitments when we see these signs of God in each other. Confidence not only that other people will do, but confident in ourselves that we will, with God's help, be noble, kind, gentle, loyal and faithful. So I think the message to us today is to call on God to help us build our lives on the character of God. Our God whose love is Hesed, faithful, loyal, noble and sacrificial. To hear his challenge and feel his encouragement to build characters that are pleasing to God and make this world a better place. To live in the providence of God.